Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined as always by Paul Tenorio. Paul, we've got a pretty big show today. There's some there's some news that's going on in the world of American soccer and MLS, namely Houston Dynamo making a coaching change. Paolo Nagamura is out, not even a full season into his tenure with the Dynamo. Uh, they will be searching for a new coach effective immediately. Joseph Martinez in Atlanta is suspended after an outburst in the locker room following their loss at Portland over the weekend involving chicken and rice. Uh, details there from our buddy Felipe Cardenas. <laughs> Pretty wild story. And then, of course, Orlando City winning the U.S. Open Cup. First trophy in the club's MLS era, um, although they do have some USL hardware in, in the case from back in the day. Um, pretty momentous occasion in your hometown, Paul, in Central Florida. And Sam, we did not even talk about this in the prep for this episode. Um, and so I, I just remembered it now, which is why we didn't talk about it. But I think we would be doing a disservice to the loyal listeners of Allocation Disorder if we didn't start off the top of this show by acknowledging that knew who scored his first ever Major League Soccer goal <laughs> and what that oh my means God. to you. It feels like, like it was so long ago. I it don't does. Know why. It feels like a lifetime ago, but it also feels like yeah, you know that the world has shifted a little bit. Yeah, no, it it definitely has. So a couple of things. I actually did some extra reporting on this because he scored. <laughs> of course, he did. He scored the goal against the Dynamo that maybe got Paolo Nagamura fired, and then he assisted on the winning goal not long after his first career goal in Major League Soccer. Those of you who listen to the show know my love for Nuhu. The man plays with a a joy that is infectious, uh, a reckless abandon that is. Just so lovable. Huge fan. Anyway, scored his first career goal. And, you know, I've often fantasized about this moment, Paul. (laughs) (laughs) And pretty much every single one of those fantasies involved, like, him just rocketing, like, a half volley in from, like, 30-ish yards and ripping off into just, like, an incredibly loud, violent, uh, emotional celebration. And... Uh, it was not like that at all. No, no, it did not happen that way. <laughs> the goal was was like kind of a weird one, close range, bit strange, and the celebration was so muted. I was I was sort of like maybe for the first time in my life disappointed in Nuhu, um, which is weird. But this is where the extra reporting comes in, and I don't think that this was um, shown on the broadcast because otherwise I would have seen it. But apparently, you know, he just kind of, his celebration, he just kind of walked, like, jogged back to midfield with his teammates, and, like, that was it. Um, But apparently, everyone was giving him a standing ovation in the crowd, which, you know, normal after a goal, but this one felt a little bit special, I guess. And he got to midfield, stopped, and, like, raised his hand to the crowd, 
all four sides of the stadium. And, and, and the way it was described to me was like, it was almost like you thought he was going to take a bow, like he was some sort of matador. And that that made me feel a lot better well, about I think how everything went down. A couple of things about this moment, and then we'll move on to the rest of the show. <laughs> but um, first of all, I think that he was a, he had the most minutes of any field player without a goal in MLS history. Is that correct? Yeah, something like that. I, I mean, yeah, so we should acknowledge that it was like an important goal and not just for like, you know, fulfilling. No, this was a thing. It's a real thing. You had about you. But also, it was really important to me that I was the first person to notify you of the new who goal in the moment to tweet about it. And I and I won. I got I got a tweet out to you before the many people who know about your obsession. I I went and checked. I went and checked your mentions. True. It is. I think it's true. If anyone else wants to act like they got the tweet first, they can go ahead and, and try to hop in my DMs and say, but no. I, I had the first reaction. Okay. Well, I'm scrolling now. Um, you know, I don't tweet much anymore. So I don't know if you can just fill a little bit, Paul. I'm yeah. Well, I'm just, here. all I'm saying is it was a big, big moment for allocation disorder. We saw, you know, I think, again, what you're scrolling right now is indicative of how often we've talked about New Who and your love of New Who on the show. Yeah. That you are scrolling through your mentions of the number of people who, you know, tweeted at you when New Who scored a goal. But it was a right footed, kind of weak shot to the post. But, inside the post, um, but it was a goal, and that's what matters most. And it and it, and it might have saved Seattle season as much as it cost Nagamura that's a job. Thing. You know, I was all, I was thinking about this the other day, too, and, and, like, this is the sort of thing. The entire team signed the ball that he scored and gave it to him in the locker room after the match. Like, it was such, like, an emotional, like, joyous occasion for the Sounders. And this win, you know, was one that they – absolutely needed they still have an uphill climb although a relatively easy schedule coming and they have austin this weekend and then four kind of weaker teams down the stretch um they might need to win all of them for given given the the deficit that they've dug themselves into but you know if anything can galvanize a team it's a new who goal and assist to to have a come from behind win at home right like i mean that, it's I'm not that. Just, just talking about it. Yeah, if it's not that, if that's not going to do it for the Sounders, then it's just not meant to be. This, exactly. this playoff streak should end. But we should talk about what happened as a result of that loss. Yes. Which was the planned start of the show, was not New Who. It was Paulo Nakamura getting fired by the Houston Dynamo after that loss where they gave up, you know, a one-goal lead late um, in Seattle. And, and you know, for me, Sam, it was a little bit surprising just because he hadn't completed his first full season. He was hired by a new GM and, and a new front office under a new ownership group. And yet they made this change. But I don't know. Did, did you did it surprise you at all? Yeah. Um, first of all, before I answer that question, you were first, Paul. It took me that long to I scroll know. back. And I find went out. and looked. Congratulations. Looked. Thank you. Um, but yeah, it surprised me just because he didn't even get a full season in charge. And, you know, you look at Houston's roster and and Pat Onstad talked about this in his press conference the other day, but he was like, we don't think we're a last place roster and and fair enough, but I don't think they're a first place roster either. I think they're much closer to a last place roster than a first place one. So when you look at their team and the expectations that they had, the fact that Nagamura and Onstad both started relatively late uh, in their respective processes, you know, I think Onstad started on the first or second of November last year as GM and Nagamura was hired. I don't believe until January Um, going into this. Yes. They signed a Hector Herrera. They signed Sebastian Ferreira. Um, They upgraded their roster. They certainly spent a lot more money than they have in the past, but I just felt like there would be more time there for him to bet in. Having said that the results certainly haven't been good. 
you know, they went three, one and three in their first seven games. Uh, it's 12 points through seven games and their next 22 games. They've been five, 15 and two. That's 17 points. You know, one of those results, one of those wins was that win that they had against LAFC just before the game at Seattle. That was Nagamura's final. And that was the best moment of the season for the Dynamo. Um, but if you take that away, then it's 14 points in 21 matches, you know, and it's pretty clear if you fire the guy after the loss, right after the best win of the season, you knew you were firing him before the best win of the season. Yeah. I think there was a sign that they felt like they weren't making progress and, and it, it's hard to do this, to admit that you got a mistake, which is what that you made a mistake, which is what's happening here. I'm always an advocate that you should do that sooner than later if you're a general manager, both with players and coaches. Like I think a big part of roster building is the ability to see when you've made a mistake and to try to correct that mistake as quickly as possible. And otherwise it can, it can compound, right. And it becomes a bigger problem. Yeah. And, and so I, I guess like in that sense, there's, there's a credit here to the front office and realizing that and saying like, you know, versus going into the start of next season and going 10 games and then making a change. And now mm-hmm. you've kind of thrown away two seasons. And you've here. had a whole off season where you could have changed things up. And, yeah. Exactly. But I, but I do want to note, like, you know, they brought in 10 new players. They moved out like 13 or 14 players. You know, that's a significant amount of change in a roster. I think that takes time to come together. Hector Herrera yeah. didn't even come until this summer. I think, I think it's a little bit unfair, don't you? It, it's it. So on that level, it is. Un, it's not a little bit. It's unfair. It's unfair to to expect a manager to have that team in a different. I, I guess their argument would be we don't need to be in dead last in in the conference. Sure. But I, I just but don't if know. they were in if they were in ninth, right? If they had, I don't know, they have twenty nine points right now. Let's say they had 36, seven right. more points, and they're fighting for a playoff spot. Like, yeah, it's a different conversation. They're yeah, probably yeah. happier. Sure. But, but ultimately, I think the idea, though, here, Sam, is that it's not just about the results. Like, they, they're, they're, there seems to be a, a belief in reading into Pat Onsat's quote that they, they just weren't yep. progressing under Nagamura. And thus, a change was necessary in order to make the progress that they believe they're going to need to make. And again, I'll go back to if you go through a whole offseason, and you don't think you have the coach that's going to give you that progress. Mm-hmm. You make all these signings. You go through the first 10 games of the season, and then that progress isn't happening still, and then you make the change. You've thrown out year two. And I don't know how long Pat Onstad's contract is, but I can't imagine it's much more than three years, yeah. right? So, you know, this this is a, a difficult de- decision. I think it's a little bit surprising in Major League Soccer. Like, I think typically MLS teams are – more patient with new yeah. hires. Although increasingly so, they've been more volatile and more. Creative. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think this is a, I, I think this is a sign of what we've seen recently that there is a little less, a little bit less patience. A, well, a I think more I think aggressive really ownership groups. This goes back to last year and last off season and the dynamo kind of got a late start with getting rid of Matt Jordan, the previous GM and hiring Pat Onstad. And that meant that maybe they missed out or weren't able to be as, aggressive in their coaching search as they would have liked. They got rid of Tab Ramos, didn't renew his contract after it expired following two seasons. And, you know, they made a play for Luchi Gonzalez. They talked to Jaime Lozano, who's now the manager of Nacaxa. And the Nagamura hiring, it always sort of felt like a little bit like he wasn't really the first choice. Well, they also got down the road with Pablo Mastroeni. Yeah. Remember that? Before he went back to I think he was like really close to agreeing to a job. Mm -hmm with the dynamo and Correct. then got the contract extension with ourselves. Yeah. So that we're talking about two or three different guys. Yeah. 
And so when you when you land on your second or third or fourth choice, which is what Nagamura kind of appeared to be, and things aren't going well, and you've dropped 21 points from winning positions through 29 matches, uh, yeah, like you 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 make the quick change, even if it is a little bit unfair. And and one of the reasons they did is, and Onstad said this was they want to get out ahead of the coaching search process this year, and now they are sort of in the What's the cliched phrase? The catbird seat. What is a catbird, by the way? Get any idea on the etymology of that? Like a like a ship. A ship. All right. No, like it's Uh, like the seat in the ship. I don't know. I'm I'm just. I believe you. Like that sounds like a good guess. Totally guessing there. Either way, that's where they are. (laughs) Um, You have Charlotte with an interim head coach. You have NYCFC with an interim head coach. I think we would expect both of those teams to be making different going in different directions this winter, given how things are playing out. Um, you might have some other openings. Potentially, we can get more to that later. But they will have kind of the pick of the litter at this point. They will have first crack, um, apart from you know San Jose and D.C., who have already fired and, and hired um, already this season. So that's one part of this. Um, but, Paul, one thing, I mean, I wanted to talk about one quote that really stuck out to me from Onstad and his availability. He said, one thing I've learned in this, in this seat in the years of, is that the years of being unsuccessful here have been more difficult to overcome than I expected. That one stuck out to me as a little bit different than the standard GM coach firing script. Um, it sounds almost like it's a club that's a little bit beaten down and Nagamura for one reason or another, whether it's tactics, whether it's emotions, whether it's personality or lack thereof, maybe, I don't know. Um, wasn't able to kind of switch that culture. And I think that's a really important thing for the Dynamo. What did, what did you make of that quote? Well, I think it runs, it's also hard to square when you when he talked about how Nagamura helped to change the culture. He did say that later on. Um, he, he tried to give him some credit for what he had done in the organization. But I, I, I think what happens is you 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 maybe don't have enough time, as much time, to sell any idea of growth for a club and a fan base that's just used to being bad and expects to be bad. And so when things start to go badly, the expectation is not, oh, we're making progress or, yeah. or, or oh, we're headed in the right direction. It's, oh, like this is more of the same, right. you know, and if we made this mistake and we stick with this mistake, it's not like, oh, we fired a guy too fast. It's like, oh, of course they kept him. They don't want to pay out his contract and hire a new mm-hmm. coach, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's that idea like that ideation that like feeling around everything that the club does like it's not police. a clean slate they're not yeah, no clean. way it's a clean slate it's you know i i have this experience being here in chicago and you know seeing the fire up close more often than, than other mls teams but it's a very similar vibe there that with the fan base like the mm-hmm. expectation is negative and and so far the fire have fulfilled that and i think that's the same in, in houston the expectation is a negative one it's a pessimistic outlook and so i think there is some level of maybe saying by sticking with Paolo Nagamura, despite the lack of progress, despite not feeling great about it, yeah. that that would just only reinforce the the things that he's fighting against internally already. That 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 mm-hmm. pessimism that um, you know a fan base used to losing, that's kind of used to the frustration and and looks at things from you know the worst point of view. And it's really hard to overcome that. It permeates. It permeates everything. Yeah. It, it does get into the locker room. It gets into the front office. It gets yeah. into like the ticket sales and everything. Yeah. So 100%. to break that is very hard. And when you're going through the season that they've gone through, you know, it 
you don't have a long leash. Like I, I, I remember tuning in to the to Hector Herrera's first game against FC Dallas in Houston, sold out stadium, incredible atmosphere. The crowd for the LAFC game, by the way, was good. Yeah, and and it's like okay, like we. So you have to like you're trying to grab these moments, and the fear is that if you don't grab the moments and you don't make the aggressive decisions, the the default is not okay. We have to trust the process here. The default yeah. is. It's more of the same. Well, that's interesting, though, and that comes back to kind of timing. And I don't want to talk in circles or anything here, but I've been thinking, we talked about this a little bit on the show last week, but I'm writing now about the Philadelphia Union. And part of the reason they have been successful over these last few seasons is because they stuck with Jim Curtin when they could have gotten rid of him, like very justifiably and easily. And some fans were calling for that exact outcome, but they stuck with him. And maybe some people in the Union fan base were like, oh, same old Union just not being ambitious, being kind of cheap. They're keeping the coach around because they, they just like don't have the appetite to really go for it. And yeah, but you, maybe that, maybe there was an element of truth there, but you yeah. see how that decision has paid off as curtain has developed as their Academy has developed. And then as they've gotten better at making some international signings. So that's part of this too, is, is a first time MLS head coach, first time, first team head coach like Paula Nagamura like, of course, he's going to be a little bit bumpy at first. He's not going to be perfect. He's still learning. And so it's kind of resetting what do the Dynamo want to be? What are their expectations? Mm-hmm. Um, and do those expectations match, like, reality? Like, like what the expectations should be? So I don't know. There are a lot of questions um, for the direction of this club. Um, and it's a lot of questions for Pat Onstad, who said himself that basically, if we're in this position a year from now, it's my ass that's on the line. <laughs> Then I've yeah, done well, a bad job. And and so he's putting himself behind the eight ball in a big way here, which respect in one way for the bravery, but um, man, he's got a lot to figure out. I mean, there's there, you could draw a line from Philadelphia to Houston in that way. I mean, the reason why they stuck with him, both Ernie Stewart and uh, Ernst Tanner is they believed he was a good coach. That was the quote. You know, I remember them coming out and saying, we don't think Jim is the problem. Jim's a really good coach. They only and, gave him one year contract. So how much did they really, right. Believe? But like that's they were kind of in some ways when you come out and you make those statements, it, you're you're betting on yourself, right? Like you're betting that yeah, what you're seeing is right. It's a team. And so yeah. and so Onstad is is saying, like, I like I'm not gonna like I see this as a being one of the parts of the problem and I need to fix it, right? Like yep. I need to make and that was the decision that led here. Now, you know, the question is where do you go next? Who do you look at next? What are the names you look at next? Yeah, so he said MLS experience. That was the watchword. That was the trend last offseason. Certainly, I think it will probably, maybe not quite as much as it was last winter, but I think it'll certainly have a big role again this offseason. He said not necessarily as a coach, but just MLS experience. So maybe that means a player who's familiar with the American system, um, but hasn't started coaching yet in MLS. But some of the names that off just off the top of my head, Ante Razov, he's been interviewed for quite a few jobs at this point. I, I think he'll probably get one soon. Um, Landon Donovan, his name always comes up in these circles. I believe he and Onstad played together with the Quakes back in the day. Um, Davey Arnaud. Austin FC assistant, former Houston assistant, former Houston interim head coach under a previous GM and ownership group. So maybe there's, if there was any burned bridge, maybe that could be reconstructed. Um, So those are a few, you know, Lozano again, Mark Dos Santos, and then interim head coach, Kenny Bundy. Maybe, maybe he's got a real shot. He was, he was Dynamo two head coach in MLS next pro and got them to the playoffs. So, you know, I would imagine he'll at least have an interview and a chance. 
I mean, one name that stood out to me as a possibility is Danny Cruz. He's worked as the manager at Louisville um, in USL last mm-hmm. year, finished atop the Eastern Conference. Dynamo legend, Conference Danny Final. Cruz. Yeah. Yeah, he went to the Eastern Conference Final again atop the East in the USL this year. Um, and yeah, played played for the Dynamo. So maybe, you know, Danny Cruz is a candidate that, that they could be looking at um, considering the work he's done in Louisville, the job he's done there. Um, Dave Annenberg, assistant coach in New England, he was – he led the way in our survey, uh, anonymous survey we did at the beginning of the year of front office officials of what assistant coach they thought was most likely or most in line to take a head coaching job. So that that could be another name that comes up in this search. Yep. But it'll be interesting to see what they do. And and yeah, like you said earlier, like this, I don't think this will be the only job that changes. They're a little bit ahead of others. You know, maybe you know, obviously, we think NYCFE and Charlotte will move on from their interim managers and, and hire somebody. Um, you know, maybe Vancouver makes a change. Maybe. You know, maybe Gerhard Struber leaves Red Bull New York. You mm-hmm. know, you know there, and then of course, there's Atlanta, and and there's a question, a big couple yeah. of question marks around Atlanta United. Yeah, some big ones, and we'll get into that here in the next segment. But let's let's just put a bow on Houston, Paul. Like this is a team to me that hasn't had much of an identity over the years. You know, they haven't really picked a lane, and when you spend in the middle or lower parts of MLS like they have. You need to pick a lane if you want to be successful. You can't just kind of float through and try and do everything like everyone else, but cheaper and expect to have sustained um, good results. So, I mean, what do you think the lane should be for Houston at this point as they try and hire a new head coach and, you know, maybe continue to rise up the budget, but definitely need some help too in terms of their overall roster. Yeah, if I were to pick kind of what I expect Houston to look like, I don't know if there's a perfect um like for like in mls i think that you certainly have to start with the academy and building out the youth development mm-hmm. area because of the houston market the amount of talent that should be there and that's a process that won't yield and results for the first long-term team in a significant yeah. way for a long time yeah, yeah it's a long-term process but on the secondary side i i really think that there should be a focus of um trying to build a connection to to mexico and and, well, they've, and they've signed herrera i mean yeah they signed herrera they started has- down that road has that worked particularly well? I mean, I, I will tell you the atmosphere against FC Dallas showed that it can, but it's not just about signing a big name player. Like that's it's not like just the about league. atmosphere either. Yeah, but the league, is, the league has they moved. I mean, win. but look at the number of successful players that have come from the Mexican league that fit well into the there's yeah, an attacking yeah, league. Course, the players course. transition well to this. You have proximity. You have a market where those players could feel comfortable, where they can where they can live in in the city comfortably. And I think that makes the transitions easier for those players. You're, you're super close to the country. You can develop relationships that benefit you. And that market, there are more players willing to come here now than ever before. There's a mm-hmm. familiarity with the league that didn't exist before. There are players that you can sign that aren't always DP players. And I think taking advantage of that market, you know, we, ha- we know how you're going to have to build this team with MLS veterans as well. I'm not saying you're ignoring that. But I think when you're starting to look at those U22 slots, those TAM slots, the DP slots, like I think examining that market would be beneficial. And that's that's the direction I would go. And I and I and I would note that the first trip that Pat Antat took after taking over was to go to Mexico. It's a closer flight for him to go to Monterey than it is to go to like almost every other MLS rival besides yeah, like Austin, Austin and Dallas, Dallas, you know? So it's 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 right there. You know why not invest in in trying to 
yeah. change the way MLS teams use that market. It's been usually mined for DPs for sure. It's starting that it's starting to increase more and more. But like, why not be the team that tries to do more there? Yeah, that's fair. Um, I think that they the first thing they need to do is is just kind of a system of play. If you look at the teams that punch above their weight in MLS, they have defined systems of play. Even even the best like LAFC as it like you know how they're going to play. Houston has a climate that plays a big role in that. They're only five, five, and four at home this year. That's not good enough. Even when they've been bad, they've typically had a much better home record than that uh, in in MLS. Um, and and that climate makes it tough to kind of go out and be a pressing team, for instance. But there are some advantages there that that you can maybe build around and you can account for when you're building out how you want to play the game. So I think they need to to think about that, recruit to that, and, and that needs to be the first step. And that needs to involve the head coach, whoever it may be. Um, so I think they need to be really really intentional there and, and kind of build out. And, and I like what you said about the Mexico part too. Anyway, enough on Houston. We're going to talk more about other teams in the next segment, specifically Atlanta United. Chicken and rice, Paul. Chicken and rice. Stay with us. Allocation disorder. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more this episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before Michelob Ultra courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear courtside seats to an NBA game and more head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more welcome back to allocation disorder Paul, chicken and rice or arroz con pollo? That's the biggest mystery of what we're about to talk about. Yeah, it's the, it really is critical to this discussion. Um, there's, a, <laughs> there's a difference, you know, and I, 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 po- I posed that question on Twitter. Did Joseph Martinez flip a table and spill chicken and rice everywhere or was it arroz con pollo? And I thought the best response was, you know, I think that he would have a little bit more respect for if it was arroz con pollo. And I, I have to, I tend to agree. So I think Perhaps. it was probably chicken and rice. Do you think it was teriyaki chicken and rice? New who's favorite post game meal? Extra Maybe spicy, it depends on double, it depends double on the, the the catering company in Portland. So I, I've you know I did get another another tweet from somebody in the Portland market who says that oh, wow. considering you know considering the catering in Portland and the, the demographics season, of of the no Portland just the, the catering company that's been used that they think it's just you know kind of a, a standard chicken and rice. I mean, dish. I, when I was working for Real Salt Lake, uh, a player who shall remain nameless yelled at the general manager at the time. I witnessed this because the pregame meal had too much flavor. So I'm guessing it was just plain <laughs> chicken and rice. <laughs> Probably yeah. not a lot of seasoning going on there. Um, no. Anyway, that was a long time ago. Much different MLS. Uh, we are, of course, referring to Joseph Martinez and, and the, the dramatic drama, action, shenanigans, brouhaha, any kind of adjective you want to describe for what, what took place out there in Portland. Hey, the Atlanta lost 2-1 to the Timbers. Martinez, as he has been doing for much of the season, came off of the bench. Uh, he scored a goal late in that match. Um, and afterwards, he was upset. Uh, Atlanta United's playoff hopes pretty much dead with that loss. They would need a, a miracle to get back into that into that field. Um, and Martinez entered the locker room. This is all according to our, our buddy Felipe. 
Um, entered the locker room, was heated. Uh, Gonzalo Pineda came out. Um, Martinez flipped a table and quote, there's chicken and rice all over the place. Um, Martinez and Pineda had to be physically separated and Martinez is now suspended. Um, not practicing, not allowed at the team facility this week and won't be playing in there. Certainly must win game against Toronto FC, a fellow playoff straggler in the East over the weekend. Um, Paul, this raises a ton of questions. What do you make of it? What do you think the biggest questions are both for Joseph Martinez's future in Atlanta and in MLS perhaps, and for Atlanta United and just kind of where they are as a club at this point in time? Yeah, I mean, I think there are a number of questions. One, I'm a little bit surprised that that they suspended Joseph Martinez. It's not the first incident that's happened with Joseph. You know, I think he's had incidents with now three consecutive coaches that they and would announce suspension. I think that they would announce the suspension and bring more attention to the issues that are taking place there in Atlanta. They're mad. We, we know it's we know it's a mess. We know it's a mess in Atlanta, and so I, I do have a few really important questions that Atlanta needs to answer. One, do you keep Joseph Martinez? for the last year of his contract club legend, maybe the most important player in club history, even considering Miguel Amiron. Do you trade him in MLS? What does the trade market look like for Joseph Martinez at this point in time? And what, you know, is it, is this, you know, let's not lose sight. This is not just a Joseph Martinez problem. It's very clear that things have been unstable in Atlanta for some time. And so considering Darren Eel's departure, considering the search that's ongoing right now to hire a president, you know, should they be looking to essentially blow up what they built the first time around and make significant changes? That would mean, you know, potentially a new chief soccer officer. And Carlos Bocanegra is there in that job now, potentially a new coach. You know, there are some people who believe Pineda hasn't gotten the most out of this roster. And I mean, and I, think that, that's, I think that's fair to say, no? Yeah. And then, and then it, it brings down the, the question of like that president position. A lot of people felt like that president position would be a, a hire that's made to look very much like Darren Eels, that it's going to be somebody with a, a more of a business background who knows the sport, but is business oriented. And you have Carlos Bocanegra there as the CSO. Does it change now? If you think everything needs to change, does that make Garth Lagerway a more attractive president who, you know, who, whose experience comes almost all, you know, all in the soccer side of things? Mm-hmm. So you know, those are the questions. And I think it starts with the president role and this and, and how much you blow up the front office. And from there, you make the decisions about Joseph Martinez and about the coach. Yeah. Um, you mentioned what does a trade market look like for Joseph Martinez? Because I think if you bring back Gonzalo Pineda, and I think if you bring back Carlos Bocanegra and you keep that intact, I don't know that there's necessarily really a path forward for Joseph in Atlanta. But I also don't know what the exit looks like. This yeah. guy is making $4.1 million this year. He hasn't been starting for them. He is, he's been producing okay. He's got eight goals and four assists in 1,300 minutes, roughly, um, which, you know, that's, that's about a goal, and a, a goal or assist a game. But he's, he's not getting any younger. Um, I can't find his specific age on his he's 29 right now. 29. He's He'll not be that old. He'll be 30 in May. He's not that old, but he is coming off of some knee injuries. Sure. And, and he hasn't quite looked himself since he suffered that at the beginning of the 2020 season, the initial game there against Nashville. And so if I'm a GM of another team, I'm looking at that. I understand that this guy not comes with baggage, but he's got a big personality that requires management and care. And that's going to be probably a bit of a headache for me at times. 
Um, do I want to go get all that and pay it $4 million a year? I don't know. And if I do, I'm certainly not going to be giving up a ton for it. Like that, that's where I'm coming at this from. And, and so if Atlanta do want to get rid of him, is a trade even feasible? Yeah. Where they have to loan him? I believe they have an option for him for 2024. So maybe you could loan him somewhere, but you know, then it becomes tricky as to whether or not you can open up that DP spot. Cause then the, the team has to cover the wages um, and, or else you're in a Pizarro situation where he's on loan, but his DP spots not open. And it, well, it's just, it's just kind of a mess. Whether they have a loan, an option on him or not is a big and important fact. I wasn't aware of that. And if, it, if it's true, I don't that, have that hundred percent. Yeah. It changes the dynamics because you're also now trading for Joseph Martinez going into the last year of his contract, right? Mm-hmm. A bare minimum, in the last guaranteed year. So, you know, I think it's I think it's just the last year of his deal. I'm not I'm not a thousand percent on that either. We'll have to we'll have to look that up. Yeah. But um, you know, I, that matters. And and so you know, a deal would have to be structured already. Like you said, the value is going to be lower. He's coming off an injury. He's not the Joseph Martinez that you would have been trading for a couple of years ago. I do think he has been finally showing that he's getting back to being himself. That he's getting yeah. back to being healthy again. And and it wasn't like that for most of the season. He was scoring goals. But he was still working his way back. You could see he wasn't the same player. I think also you can see um, some of some changes in the way he approaches the game that are partly due to who he's playing with and the fact that he's, you know, he's not getting as much service as he used to get. You know, he's not the players aren't looking to to reward his runs in behind as much as they were in the past. So, you know, you have to factor that in. But yeah, I mean, if you're an MLS team, the availability of teams that are going to trade for Joseph Martinez, they need a DP spot. Obviously mm-hmm. they need to be in a market where, where, you know, they believe they might have a chance to re-sign him. So would Joseph play there? I think that's going to factor into your decision-making. Even if you know it's a try be before too, you buy. I don't think he would be too picky on that front. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe he would, he would. maybe he wouldn't. He's a, he's, you know, he's, he is a big personality and I think he's going to want to go. I think he's going to believe that he should go to a big club. Like I, yes. I, I think that, yes. And so, you know, that, that can be limiting as well. And then it's about what is the price that you've put on Joseph Martinez? So let's, like, what would you put on him? I, I would guess that Atlanta is going to be looking for at least one and a half million dollars in a trade. My thing is if I'm a GM, there's no way I'm putting a million and a half dollars down up front. You know, I, if, if, I can't know that I'm re-signing him. Like if, if I speak to I mean, an agent you, you and I have a deal on the table where yeah. I'm going to re-sign him, then okay, I'll, I'll pay the million and a half. But maybe they have to structure a deal where you give 500000 up front and another million if he re-signs to a new deal. Yeah, like there could certain, be a structure like that. Incentives. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think that's around, I think a reasonable price to ask for Joseph Martinez at a million and a half I think that's a reasonable price. I don't know that that will be Atlanta's starting point, but I think that's like a reasonable point to, especially when you look at the price. But not a million and a half guaranteed. Yeah. I w- again, I would think that there has to be some sort of structure in there that protects against that contract situation injury. and an injury. But I, I think, I think my guess is that that number will, would end up somewhere around that. And is that enough to satisfy Atlanta fans? Oh, you know, man. It's, it's a classic, trading right? a club legend, man. How, how do you how do you think about that? Like, is it worth doing? Is it worth trading the club legend? Do you think it's necessary for Atlanta? Or do you think it's more like, do you think it, the fans would be more accepting of changes everywhere else than trading or selling Joseph? 
yeah, I think the fans would be more expect accepting of the latter of changes everywhere else than of changing Joseph. Uh, but if you don't change everything else, then you kind of got to pick a new direction. So I don't know. I think, I think Atlanta might be in for some bigger changes this winter than just Joseph Martinez. So I think maybe, maybe Joseph won't change because of that. Maybe you start fresh with, with a new management team and a new coach perhaps, and you try and repair that relationship and, and build a team around him again. Um, maybe the people you hire though, aren't interested in doing that and they try and move him. I don't it, like it only takes one believer to create a trade market for him in MLS. So I would imagine he would have that, but like just off the top of my head, it's going to, it's going to be a difficult exercise, but like who has the DP spot? Who has the positional need? There's a few teams that come into my mind. I, I, I'm not going to know hundred percent on their DP spot situation, but one St. Louis is going to have a ton of allocation money. And yeah. obviously coming in as an expansion team, they, they stand out to me as the first team that should be and would be calling because you have less risk here as an expansion team. If you're taking on a one-year deal, you try to sell them on this new, opening this new stadium, mm-hmm. being the marquee player, all of that stuff. And you're going to have, and it's not going to hit you as hard to, to send them a million and a half in game. Mm-hmm. So that one stands out to me as, as a team that should be calling. That's a Atlanta. good show. Yeah. Um, I could see, and I don't know that this would happen. I could see Orlando making a run. <laughs> <laughs> um, obviously that there's a relationship there between the Joseph and the Orlando fans that I think I, I could see. I mean, for me, that, that makes sense though. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. It does on the soccer side, <laughs> all, yeah. on the, all the other stuff, not as much. I would love that actually. I could see, I could see NYCFC potentially looking at Joseph as, as an interesting proposition. I don't see that. I could see they, the Philadelphia union. I could see, I could see Jim Curtin. Union. Thinking, yeah, why not? Wait, well, with Carranza and Ua, Ua doing so well, I don't, I don't see that. I also don't see yeah. them paying four million dollars for. for well, they would only have to pay the salary. I, I, again, I think the one that stands out to me is St. Louis. I do think Orlando is in need of like a marquee number nine, and they also have a DP number nine who just hasn't worked out as well. Yeah, but like I, but I just think the the rivalry between the player and the fan base would would stand in the way of that. Minnesota. Um, I mean, they they constantly are looking for strikers, and you know what? I yeah, I, I mean, I think Adrian Heath would do that in a heartbeat. Sporting Kansas City is Polito out of contract. That, that's that is the that one right there is like for me the dark horse. That doesn't this feel like a Peter Vermees deal? Like somehow he comes in, and he structures it, you know, mm-hmm. five hundred thousand up front for Joseph Martinez, a ton of incentives that may or may not get hit, a lot of money tied into depending on whether or not Joseph re-signs a new contract with Sporting Kansas City. A fan base, a, a small city, but a fan base that Joseph Martinez is, is smart enough to know is like a loyal and, and good and atmosphere. And for a club that needs a, a refresh after the season they've had. Um, Polito is, it was a four-year contract for him. Um, so he will be around next year as well, which might. Was that a four-year guaranteed? Uh, I mean, that's what Google's telling me. So hmm. Interesting. You know. Um, so yeah, that, that could, that could stand in the way of that. You can find a buyer for, for Polito though. Chicharito, I believe is out of contract with the galaxy. Yeah. They they got, they got my guy though. Dehan. He's the future of the galaxy. Future of the club. Future of the galaxy. What a, what a sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Um, either way, I mean, this, this is going to be a fascinating thing to watch play out. I think Joseph, who has said in the past that he wants to die in Atlanta, by the way, just like the way Joseph speaks, the dramaticness that he puts into everything. 
It's fantastic. The guy is yeah. super entertaining. I, I also think like big, yeah, he's a great entertainer. He's a lot of fun to watch when he's playing at his best. A lot of credit to him for, you know, working as hard as he did. He learned English and then he started doing interviews in English while he was still learning. That takes a lot of guts. And I think, you know, it, it shows that he, um, I, I just think it speaks to who he is, um, that he, he just, and like, like the way he talks, like it, it all plays into this personality where it's a very big personality and it's led, it leads to these dust-ups and those dust-ups occurred with Tata and they occurred, you know, with every coach that followed Tata. They will occur for whoever coach he's playing for next year, whether it's Pineda. Speaking of which, Sam, Uh should Atlanta United be be thinking about asking Tata to come back after the World Cup? God. (laughs) I mean, it's about like if you are coming in as the new if Darren Eels was still there, I would say like it's probably gonna it would probably happen that conversation, that phone call. But like why like is that like a, a move that you think would be worth it? Do you think mm-hmm. he would listen? Like is is a change at coach even the right answer? When or he is listened, it more like I have no idea. I mean, is Gonzalo Pineda gonna come back? I think he'll I think Pineda will probably be given another shot next I think year. So too. Um, but let's say he's not for whatever reason. And this is a discussion they have having, I think a new president coming in trying to put his or her own stamp on the club is not going to go back down that road. I think, I think if anything, there's like some sort of conflict and tension in Atlanta with Tata era and post Tata era and trying to, you know, on the one hand, recreate the success of the Tata era with on the other hand, everything they've done since, which is like, it wasn't just Tata, it was us too. And we're going to do it our own way. And they haven't been as successful. I think they just need to, to, man, they just, I feel like they just need to, to pick up, pick a lane, kind of almost have a clean break from that and move forward. I don't, I don't think that's something that I would do. I also don't think that's something he would necessarily be interested in. And if Carlos Bocanegra is still around, it ain't happening. Yeah. So, well, for sure. um, so yeah, I don't, I don't really think of that as entirely realistic, even if Pineda is not coming back, which just, I think he probably will. You know, I'm just saying, like, I think it's like you, you have on one hand, you have getting rid of Joseph and like that, what that would represent, like a really like firm break. Gosh, Darren Eels is gone. Joseph Martinez is gone. Atlanta United 2.0. Yeah, it would be, <laughs> it would really become that. And, or do you keep Joseph and you hold on for that one last year and you hope, that you can manage it and figure out yeah. a way with it. I don't know. It's it's going to be because of what he represents to that club. It is going to be a fascinating, fascinating thing to watch of how Atlanta United chooses to move forward, who they choose to move forward with. And if Joseph Martinez hits the trade market, we've seen that market adjust in insane ways. I mean, Paul Ariola got traded for $2 million last year. Sam, there's a huge amount of allocation money coming into the system in two years. So you mm-hmm. can structure deals on, on a two-year payment plan knowing how much more GAM you're going to have in 2024. So I think we're about to see a, another year of big numbers kind of jumping up again. So yeah. it's just like, yeah, if Paul Ariel is getting $2 million, like I said, like I think a million and a half is fair for Joseph. There's no way Atlanta United comes into the market asking for a million and a half. They're gonna come in looking at Paul I mean, Mariola. So it depends on the contract and if you if he's gonna resign wherever he goes. That that's entirely dependent on it. Paul, I think they're gonna try and move him. I think that he will be traded this offseason. How about that? You're you're uh, the GM of I don't know. You're 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 Peter Vermees. You're you are Jovan Karofsky. Are you interested in Joseph Martinez in the trade market? 
Man, I mean, it it's tricky with Kansas City because of Polito. But if I could I mean, if I could plug Joseph Martinez into sporting Kansas City as the number nine, yeah, I think that would be really fun and cool to try and do. <laughs> would you do uh, it for two million dollars, Cam? I mean, it's—I don't know because I don't know how much money they have. Yeah, well, that's that's where these conversations always end. Thank you for the transparency. Uh, yeah, but but if it was an incentive-laden, escalator-ridden deal where I'm paying only if he produces, then then yeah, I think I would I think I would be comfortable trading seven fifty to a million in guaranteed, and then that rising up depending on how he plays. So, what about you? You think he gets moved? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned a team I hadn't thought of. Like, if you're Minnesota United and you're trying to go from the third, fourth best team in the West to being like a true MLS Cup contender and you think you have everything except for the go-to finisher. And you've whiffed on every international striker you've tried to sign. Yeah, and it's going to cost you a million and a half in GAM. That's what it's going to cost you. Even guaranteed, million and a half in GAM for Mm -hmm. a year of Joseph with possibility of two years. Yeah, I, I, yes, I make that trade. What about Austin? They have three no. DPs already. But. Yeah, they have the DP situation they yeah. got to figure out. But like, I, yeah, I, I mean, the potential of what I he mean, he's an do. upgrade on Maxi Arudi. That's all I'm saying. I, I, I think they could be fun. I thought that Atlanta United should have thought about making that move, trading him in the summer. Um, I thought they would have probably gotten even more value out of him. But you know what? He's scoring goals now. He's starting to look a little bit more like Joseph Martinez. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe if he comes back out of the suspension and plays and scores more goals, they'll get more money. Mm-hmm. I, I do think there will be more than one interested team in Joseph Martinez. Montreal, another team that I think would make sense. Joseph Martinez would freaking love Montreal. I don't think he knows that, but I think he would love it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know that we're going to break. Stay with us on the third segment. We'll talk about Orlando City winning the Open Cup. And Christian Pulisic, as I think I mentioned on last week's show, now has a new manager. Um, I mentioned that possibility last week. Anyway, stay with us. Allocation disorder. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to Allocation Disorder. We are journeying to the swamps, the marshland, the disnified goodness of Central Florida, Paul Tenorio's beloved hometown, <laughs> Orlando, where on Wednesday night, Orlando City defeated Sacramento Republic, USL, Cinderella story ends in the land of Cinderella. Uh at the hands of Orlando City FC. Uh, I mean, you know, close enough. Know. This is tortured. Orlando won the Open Cup. <laughs> <laughs> they did, and you know what, Sam? It was a validation, I think, for that market. Um, I really believed Orlando was going to be, you know, a Portland level of success in Major League Soccer uh, when I was there covering their their move from the USL to MLS. Um, there were a lot of similarities between the markets, a lot of similarities in the fan bases in terms of kind of the organic growth. Um, a 
along with a lot those of differences clubs. as well. A lot of differences as well. <laughs> a lot of differences as well between those fan bases. I'm trying to think sure. of like two cities that could be more polar opposite of each yes, other. Yes. Like Orlando. I'm not talking about the personalities of the individuals <laughs> in the fan bases. I'm talking about the support of the larger fan base. But what 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 happened was it became a mess. It became a mess because of impatient ownership. It became a mess because of um, you know lack of investment at the level that it needed to have. Um, you know constant changing of leadership, all those different things. And they lost the fans for a while. And that stadium was, you know, emptier at times than I ever thought it would be. But I've always maintained on this show and other places that Orlando to me, when it's a full stadium, when it's got the full support of its fans is maybe the most difficult place to play in major league soccer. Certainly the most volatile um, atmosphere to play in. They don't make it easy for you. I mean, I think you, walk, a, you walk through the tunnel when you're the player and there's yeah. graffiti everywhere. I think they got it's rid like of that. Saying, I don't like, know they you're going to die. Yeah, like, it's, like, it's kind yeah. of scary. <laughs> Very Orlando. And and, and look, I, I think there's a reason the U.S. has played important qualifiers there, penultimate games of qualifying in the last important, two cycles. Important Nations League matches there. Ball important Nations League game. matches there when they needed a result. And I think you'll see more games played in Orlando going forward because of the atmosphere and the way the team tends to play in that stadium. And I thought that the, that the fans would make the difference um, last night. They tried their best. Ultimately, what made the difference was that Orlando's roster is significantly better than Sacramento's. And at towards the last 20 minutes of the game, you know, the subs that came in, they had more legs. They had more quality. Benji Michelle made a big difference. Um, and they, they ended up taking Facundo over Torres. the game. And, and, and went, you know, Facundo Torres being the, the star player of that team, mm-hmm. um, you know, scored the goal that opened things up. Um, but – you know, again, for me, it's the validation looking at what that stadium was last night. I think it was indicative of what that market can be if they start to win consistently and perform consistently. And I think that Orlando, you know, I'm glad for that fan base that they got a trophy. Um, and, you know, I, I was I also said, you know, to I did another interview yesterday about this before the game. Like these markets are not that different. I know like Sacramento was the Cinderella and rightfully so. It's very difficult as a USL team to advance in the Open Cup the way that they did, especially in today's age with the difference in spending in the rosters mm-hmm. of, of MLS and USL. But these markets are very similar. These 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 franchises were born in very similar ways. The support that came terrible, about terrible NBA teams. They both have terrible NBA teams and um, and so, like, I, I just thought it was a good story of of kind of the growth of American soccer in general. The final last night yeah. of these of these smaller smaller market cities that are popping up with really really cool support around a mm-hmm. soccer team that are finding, um, you know, finding these touch points with with this country that the sport is through these markets and these stories. And we've seen it, you know, in Orlando, in Sacramento. Yeah. Um, over the last few years. So kind of a cool final in that way. No, too. it's it is cool in that way. You sort of see the growth and the birth and and the you know emergence of, of an American soccer culture in these cities and in these games. And and last night was really cool from that perspective. Great crowd down there in Orlando. Um but Paul you mentioned it. this has been a pretty inconsistent team over their history in MLS. Uh they've gotten better with Oscar Pereja, certainly. Um in playoff position right now, seems like they'll qualify, but but not having a great year. I think probably worse than many people, myself included, expected them to be. You know, they're in fifth place. They actually have a negative five goal difference. I picked them um, to win MLS Cup, Sam. They still might, Paul. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I said 
in the in our preseason prediction show, I said like they're going to get off to a. I do not remember that. I I picked them to win MLS Cup, and I said they're going to get off to a slow start at the beginning of the season. They're going their newer players are going to integrate into the squad, and they're going to be playing their best soccer come October, and they're going to win MLS Cup. All of that could still happen because this yeah. Open Cup win could galvan could push them into that territory. And, and these things do have a tendency to to do that a little bit. Like yeah, I would not sure. be surprised at all if this kicked them into gear. They've been struggling in particular this year with their striker play. You know, Kara has not been kind of what they hoped. Just nine goals, not overwhelming. Um, and they haven't had consistent production from that position. Torres has been solid in a lot of ways, but up and down in some others. Um, defensively, they've been they've been pretty good, but not amazing. You know, missing Antonio Carlos for a large portion of the season certainly hurt in that way. Um, but it's just it, like everything is there. The pieces are there. They're just not really firing. They haven't really clicked yeah, I mean, and, they had a midseason signing towards ACL in his last appearance for his old club before coming to join Orlando. Like things like yeah. that have also like kept them from like they've just been like a little bit snake bit in those ways. I feel like this season and and something like this can maybe be the be as you mentioned it maybe can galvanize them and be the the trigger that changes that. So I'm very curious to see where they go because, like you said, I think Orlando being good, I think they're a good team. Obviously, for that market, I think with like playoff games in that stadium, like deep into the playoffs, would be awesome. And I don't know, they give off a weird vibe that I think is good for the league, and that I think a lot of people would enjoy hating Orlando, which is a strange thing to say. Even ahead of this game, the Spygate stuff. Then you know what? When you look at it, like they, I, I, like they embraced it. Like I expected them to have a tifo last night of binoculars that came down. Yeah, you know, or for everyone in the supporters, sort of the bad boys. You know, the, they don't yeah. mind it. They like it, yeah. and they're and they and it makes them who they are. It makes them tough to play against. They embrace it, and when you're on the team, you embrace it too. Yeah. Like, that's why Chris Mueller fit in so perfectly because he loved that like attitude. <laughs> Cash, <laughs> Cash, Cash Mueller. Mueller, he was like shushing people. It was great. Like that's like so. It was like it fit so uh. well. Yeah, you know they need that, and well, they and have that I with Pereja. Pereja is absolutely all about that life, hundred percent. And, and you're right; it's good for the league to have like a villain. And if they get if they're consistently good and they can be the villain, like I'm all about that too, Sam. Like I I agree with you. You need somebody that's going to be that that guy. Yeah. Um. And and Orlando is, or they can be. Yeah. Well, they have to. That's, they have to really win before. That's why, like, you know, what we mentioned last segment, like Joseph Martinez in Orlando would just like put it over the top. Oh, it'd be fantastic! It would be <laughs> fantastic. They got to make it happen. Make it happen, Oscar Pereira and Luis Muzi. You probably don't listen to this show. The Wilfs. The Wilfs. If you're listening, definitely, yes. definitely listening. Yes. The Wilfs are. are yeah. It'll be a better transaction than the trade you pulled for Kirk Cousins. I guarantee it. <laughs> um, Paul, moving on from Orlando to London sister cities as you do actually a lot of people from the uk love to vacation in orlando i learned that when i lived there well yeah i mean orlando or blackpool where would you rather go i'm just saying you know you wouldn't think that they do well with the sun there that was a cheap shot i just took it blackpool i've never even been there (laughs) yeah yeah a lot of sunburns happening for those tourists um yeah they're all following phil rollins anywho uh over in london thomas tuchel fired by chelsea christian pulisic has a new coach maybe he'll play now Graham Potter is in charge. He comes over from Brighton. Uh, very, very well-respected coach for what he was able to do with that team in the Premier League, um, really develop a good style of play. Uh, you know, there's a good article on, on The Athletic on, on what he, he will bring and, and kind of the tactical identities, plural, that he formed at Brighton and, and his ability to kind of switch and, and 
have his team be more than the sum of their parts. Um, I think, you know, we don't know how exactly how it's going to look. He, he places a high emphasis on possession. Brighton was high pressing um, for a large portion of his tenure. I think both of those things, the high pressing in particular, maybe means good things for Christian Pulisic. Um, he's certainly used to playing in that system in the past, and he's good at it. Uh, but we don't really know how this is going to shake out, other than I think he'll have more of an opportunity than he ever would have had moving forward under Thomas Tuchel. Any other thoughts on that, Paul? Yeah, I mean, he had started the last two games under Tuchel. Tuchel's probably blaming Christian for getting fired and start finally mm-hmm. starts him and, and yeah. he gets the sack. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it was clear that Tuchel didn't like Christian as a player, didn't really see him as a... Didn't, as a, didn't, yeah, like didn't him see him compared, as a starter. Like, he wasn't his, his first choice starter. Um, you know, he, he might he not be under Carter. And he, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how this plays out. But I think it does give a better opportunity for more minutes and certainly for him to, to be a little bit happier now yeah and maybe a new the argument role. A, a mad christian would be a good thing maybe a happy christian's not so bad either um but a mad, don't really mad happy christian mad we don't really know yeah mad. something to prove for sure I, I i think it's a really cool story too for chelsea to go for for a manager who's worked at smaller clubs hasn't been really proven like when pochettino's name came up i was like oh yeah like that's how mm-hmm. a, a chelsea would normally go about things right a guy who's been in a champions league final you know a big name manager um, here they go with a manager who's who's been with several smaller clubs, has had a lot of success, yeah. known for his recruitment strategies, not spending a lot of money, managed in Sweden not too long ago, managed in oh, Swansea. I, uh, I believe he have... go to Sweden and, and check out a lake. Yeah, perhaps? that's my that's part of my plan. Um, I think I, I think did he coach? He was at Swansea when the two MLS guys came over on loan. So yeah. um, I think I had no, to double I, check. I that. Was it was he before them? Right. Would have been a yeah. would have been a nice connection. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> he certainly isn't like the high profile. Was just last year. Was it really only last year that they went on loan? No. Yeah. Jordan Morris. I feel like Jordan Morris came back last year from the ACL. Uh, he did, but he also did it last year. No. Yes. This is good podcast right here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He was in Swansea 2018. We'll, we'll, we'll do more research. Anyways. I just think it's a cool hire because it, it gives a chance for a manager who's developed at smaller teams with a system of recruitment that's been very successful to see how he can do that with more money at his disposal. Does he stick to that system? Does it does it change when you're looking for diamonds in the rough versus having the money to go pay for the diamonds up front? Um, yes. I mean, I, I want to see how this all plays out. He brought a lot of his staff with him, a few members of his backroom staff, and including his top recruitment guy. So... Um, I'm just interesting, interested to see how it plays out. But yeah, for Christian Pulisic, I think no doubt in my mind that this is a positive, just based on like the opportunity cost here. Like I think he, I think he will like, or not opportunity cost, but the opportunities that will now be yeah, on the table that maybe weren't yeah. before. Um, I didn't really listen to anything you just said because I was too busy looking up that Jordan Morris was at Swansea last year in, in 2021. Yes, unbelievable. Um, once again, time, time is just moving very slowly. Yeah. I don't know. It's a flat circle. Thanks for listening to Allocation Disorder.